I'm Sarah Myerskoff, and this is the Insurance Brokers Podcast, where we're talking to the personalities and the businesses that sit behind our industry. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform. Good morning, Phil. I'm really grateful to have you on the Insurance Brokers Podcast this morning. I think we're going to have a great conversation. And as I did when I met you in November, I think I'm going to learn a lot from you. So welcome. Thanks very much. Yes, great to be here. Thanks, Sarah. So the, the, the topic of our conversation is, broadly speaking, what's holding you back? And we're talking about business challenges, people challenges, uh, insurance market specific challenges. So so really quite wide ranging. I'd love you to give us a bit of an intro to you and your background and how you approach these kind of topics. Yeah, and I think probably the first thing to do is acknowledge how big the topic is. And therefore, you know, I think sometimes within organisations, we think that the challenges are so big and so large that if we understand that it is complex and people are complex, that the, the challenges are going to be quite quite challenging, that's for sure. So I suppose my background, just to lead into it, is um, I was a professional footballer for a little bit. Um, didn't quite work out, just through uh, through through opportunities, if you like, and, and natural talent. Um, I mean, I was looking at statistics this weekend for youngsters. I think it's 0.001% of British youngsters make it as a professional. So the odds are stacked against us in the UK, actually. Um, and after that, I, I needed a new career. And after having loads of variable jobs, really, I, I spent 12 years in the Royal Air Force as a, as a trainer and educator and a performance coach for the fast jet pilots. And after 12 years, I chose to leave. And, and that was some nine, 10 years ago now where I, I left to set up Pronoctis, um, which is a training and consultancy business, which business, which helps organizations to um, yeah, flush out those challenges with their people, really, in terms of aligning that strategy and those tactical day-to-day decisions to make sure there's some alignment there so that we've got higher chances of achieving those goals. That's incredible. What, um, what, what was it like being a, a performance coach in the RAF? Um, yes, yeah, fascinating. It's, it's, it's really varied, as you can imagine, because there's different outcomes and different goals. So, again, you, you've learned very quickly that you have to sort of bespoke everything you're doing to what's happening in the moment. So the whole the whole dynamic, the whole environment changes day to day. You could be overseas in dangerous environments. You could be on a, a training exercise, you know, in the wilderness, or you could be at home in what we'd call our, our training cycle before going back out to these these places. And at the forefront of your mind is always that strategy of, you know, developing individuals and for people to learn and grow, to be able to perform under pressure and in dangerous environments. So varied, I think, was was, was probably the best answer to that. Uh, but with that becomes the, the development of those skills to be able to, to bespoke everything. I really like what you've just said, and it's very much resonated with the half term I've just had with my children, um, is the the external world that you're living in has an impact so it's optimizing within that external world I think is how I'm paraphrasing what you just said that has got to be a really critical skill and probably something that you see a lot that our businesses are struggling with given how our current sort of global economy and all the crazy things that have happened in the, the the three years have affected people individually within teams within businesses do you think what do you think yeah 100 percent. i think a lot of the work we do where we where we come into organizations that need some help and support i'll go back to that term again of alignment so who are we as an organization so this is a board level you know even shareholder level you know who are we as an organization how how do we want to what are we trying to achieve you know really sort of clinical and then behind that needs to be a conversation around how are we going to do that how are we going to behave how are we going to look after our staff how are we going to develop our leaders and managers 
and it creates that that sort of alignment to the conversation never mind the outcome and then what happens when you're aligned is that you're a bit more resilient to the the outward world in terms of being able to pivot and adapt adjust and adapt to, to the out, outdoor market sort of challenges um are some organizations that maybe have played lip service to that for the last 5 10 20 30 years are really struggling at the moment because there is no alignment so everybody's going off doing their own thing in their own little teams or their departments or their locations or you know in their little countries and overall if you really sat down with those department heads and said right what you're trying to achieve and how does that tie into the wider company goal they probably couldn't answer the question it's very much just me looking down you know rather than having that strategic awareness so that resilience and that togetherness as as human nature is really sort of builds that force field of resilience for external challenges yeah and 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 every organization we work with is different and i think that's the the requirement for things that are bespoke now that you know if i worked with one organization or one bank or financial services or insurance company and then walk through the the door the next day of a different company and try to do the same thing it doesn't work um and actually the people on the ground see through that so the ability to be able to bespoke things not just as a consultant but also as a leader and as a manager in an organization to manage your individuals is so important and likewise going back to your half term story from last week you know if you sit down and do a little you know jigsaw puzzle with one of your children the other one it doesn't float the boat of the other one so it's very much about individual management individual management is one thing but you have to be able to manage as a collective as well how do you do both and do both well it's understanding that you've got to have your core principles so one of ours is you know the the team goal comes first so what we're trying to achieve is a goal everything everything we do as an individual then when we're making our decision making it needs to be based on the team goal so once we're aligned to that and we can start moving forward then we can start working on the individual goals what we find sometimes is that people that maybe haven't been invested in or feel like they're not not belonging or playing a part in it they they're becoming a little bit disenfranchised with the with the system or the team they find themselves in so they end up being a a barrier to achieving the team goals rather than somebody that's allowing it to happen or playing a part. Yeah, it's really interesting. You've mentioned um, some of the, you sort of mentioned uh, financial services and insurance companies. When we spoke last time, we were talking about some of the challenges that you've identified or worked with within global uh, insurance companies. Can you tell me a little bit more about it and what you're seeing in terms of market changes for these types of companies? Yeah, and and sometimes it's it's been, again, teams and organisations trying to align you know, the whole department, if you like, towards a transformation that the organization realizes that they need to do something, the market's changing, uh, and therefore they need to update some of their systems, their processes, their infrastructure, their IT, and, and the people have to come on the journey with them. So we we plug into them to help and support them, take the people on that that change and that transformation. And other things as well, in terms of, you know, acquisitions and mergers we've worked on, where there's been huge culture clashes between the two organizations, you know, that they, they've got their own ways of working. And you see a very, very, then very obvious different clashes and different hierarchical challenges the, the the world's forever changing and i think the way we embrace and engage our our people you know really does pay dividends if we can align it to, to what we're trying to achieve and communicate it effectively more often than not i think the people within an organization are an afterthought it's more strategy first and then they'll play, play catch up or actually that's the biggest challenge to deliver something that's either transformational or change or or progress or growth we need to we need to engage them actually as part of the decision making process. And more often than not, everybody's thinking the same thing. You know, everybody knows that an organization's there to make money and to provide a service. But if we can bring people on the journey with us, it makes life easier, especially when we hit those bumps in the road, which inevitable happen. They'll be there to roll their sleeves up because they're buying into the process where 
what tends to happen is if they if they haven't been involved, there's a little bit of reluctance to get involved. And when we hit a bump in a road, actually, they'll take a step back rather than a step forward. So yes, it's 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 been quite mixed, especially the yeah the insurance industry is really interesting because it's you know it's it's evolving and it's changing really quickly. I think the last uh, sort of five years has kind of almost put a fast forward on some of those changes, um, and I wonder whether some of the challenges that are now unfolding are as a result of what you're saying, different sort of different mindsets, different people and different uh, competing uh, interests within an organisation that are pulling in opposite directions. Yeah, definitely. And I like the, I like the time frame you put on it actually five years, because I think a lot of us have been engrossed in you know, the last three years of, of COVID and a global pandemic and the challenges with that. But actually, the, a lot of the, the sort of uh, fundamental issues were there long before that. I think just COVID exposed them. So a lot of our um, clients and organisations within the first two weeks of COVID being hit where there was so much uncertainty in the air, our, our, you know, our monthly board meetings and our, our quarterly leadership meetings were, went from you know, KPIs, targets, sales, individual people performances, conversations to we just changed the language to you know, almost well-being. So it's like, well, let's support our staff. What do they need? And instead of ringing up and going, have you delivered this? Have you done that? Why haven't you done this? Just say, how are you? How are you and the family? Are they okay? And I'm showing that little bit of authenticity as a human being of this is really hard for you. Um, and we had some stories where, you know, we had some, you know, mid-20s people living in London. They're just stuck in a par- in apartment, you know, and they can't leave. They, you know, it's a studio apartment. But then you've got some of the senior people up the organization that are maybe, you know, further on in their career that have got a nice garden and, you know, they've got that extra space and maybe moved out of the city. Um, they were joining Zoom calls, you know, with, with the sun behind them. Because if you remember the first summer, the weather was fantastic in the spring. And it's that little thing like that disconnect of, you know, you're, you're, you're okay over there. You've, you've got outside space where I'm just in a little box room here. And it really sort of, we, we, we started switching on very quickly of that's probably not the right message. Let's just work on those virtual backgrounds and do something a little bit different, just to have a little bit of empathy through, through the challenges everybody had. And the organizations that nailed that early on are absolutely flying now. And they have been that, you know, they've, they've seen very little effect since, Maybe up until the back end of last year, where obviously the markets started um, having a bit of trouble back end, back end of last year. But in terms of COVID, I wouldn't say they weren't affected, but they certainly minimised the impact. One of the podcasts I did during the first lockdown towards the end of it was um, with the CEO of a, of a very big insurance broker. And he said to me that he started lockdown and they were all having a bit of a joke about who's got the nicest home office. And he very quickly realised that he had some staff that were working from an ironing board in the hallway because the kids were doing, you know, Zoom calls at the dining room table. And the impact on that person was horrific. And he said that was a real eye opener for him. So it really resonates with what you've just said. Yeah, it talks about that connection and that disconnect as well, doesn't it, in terms of sometimes as, as we progress through our careers and, and through the, 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 the responsibility and maybe we get paid for that we sometimes lose that disconnect with what our junior staff or, or middle management are going through. And that that comes back to that ability to connect with our teams and, and asking, are they okay? What's going on? And finding out what's going on. And I can give you a story of one of the, you know, the global big banks where I know I know quite a senior manager in one of those people, uh, one of those teams. And they, he, they already had the phone numbers of their staff, you know, so they, were, they had a WhatsApp group going. They've been doing it for five or six years. So they knew each other, but it was not just work conversation. It was, how are you doing? You know, this is my, you know, there's been to a christening today. It was very much a social thing around the team. And I'm not saying this works for every team, but what I can say is that within two, within a week of, of COVID happening and everybody being dispersed around the country, really, 
it didn't affect that team because they just communicated through WhatsApp. So, you know, they were waiting, staff were waiting for laptops because they used to have a desktop. They were waiting for a works mobile phone because before that, it was only the managers that could have it. It was this sort of setup. But their team kept on functioning and working really, really well. And, you know, it was only two months later where there was an all-hands leadership meeting where they were saying that the biggest challenge is communicating amongst team and managers can't get hold of staff. And, you know, this this manager held their hand up and said, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand it. How, how have you not got your staff's contact details? Are you that far removed that maybe you're not speaking to them until every two, three, four months, you know, that you don't even know who they are? You know, she, she as a manager knew everybody's birthdays, their family. It's that connectiveness, that effective management that really sort of, I, I do I do honestly believe we need to get back to that. I mean, as human beings, to get the best out of each other, we need to be feeling that we, we cared about and we contribute and we get regular feedback, good, bad and indifferent. Um, and therefore, you know, that creates that collective human experience rather than, I just here to work on my laptop and then, you know, my family. Um, and it's not for everybody. I get that. Some people just want to work their hours and, and go off. But if we really want to have that ecosystem of well-being and looking after each other and, and, and really having a sort of a movement and, and working towards a goal, that's the type of effective leadership and management we need. It, and that's not the role, obviously, of the CEO. They're too far removed. But certainly they should have an understanding of, of their senior or executive leadership team of what's going on with them rather than everything being transactional. You know, it's picking up on people's facial expressions how are you is everything okay you seem a bit tired today can i help at all it's not being nosy it's being a human being and i think we've um i don't know i feel like we we lost a lot of that because it it we kind of went to a place where it was um uh you have different heads you have your work head you have your home head you have your mum head you have your whatever it might be and i think covid kind of merged a lot of those things i had a, a moment where i was doing a, a podcast with quite a senior um insurance person and i my son ran into the my office and shot me between the eyes with a nerf bullet and i remember that moment because it was such a like Oh, I'm, I, I'm a mum. This is all kinds of crazy and I'm hating lockdown type thing. So, and I'm sure, <clears throat> well, we've all seen it, the, the, the YouTube funnies and uh, things that have happened on Zoom calls that bring the person's compartmentalised selves all together. And I think it's a really important, a really important thing, but quite difficult to do um, unless it's kind of forced. Does that make sense? And I think COVID yeah. forced a lot of it. Yeah, I think so. But also, I think people showed their true colours as well. And I think a lot of people did adapt their behaviour and realise that actually there's other things there's, you know, in life that it's not just about work and, and, and the KPIs and the targets that, you know, other things are really important in people's lives, like, you know, going out for a walk and spending time with your family and switching off and, you know, not, not being on your email 16 hours a day. Um, and we had it ourselves within our organisation where, you know, the, the, the children, but of course, they want attention. And of course, that one time they want to come speak to you, it's when you're on a, a business call. And we got to the point where we, we, we were, we were in, embracing them into the conversation. You know, guy, okay, Sam, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, you're having fun. Is it nice to be off school? You know, all that type of thing. And whilst, uh, you know, we had to take a couple of things off the agenda for that call, realistically, that's what it all comes down to. And, you know, we, we'd get text message after having a bit of fun going, oh, Sam's grown up. I haven't seen him for six months. You know, that type of stuff that builds that connectiveness. But I think what really puts leaders and managers off it is that I don't know where the line is, what's appropriate and what's not to step into people's personal life. And, the simple solution and the advice I give people is ask. Just say, right, I, I'm quite a hands-on manager. I like to be involved. I like to build a team, but I know it's not for everybody. What works for you as an individual? How do you want me to manage you? And likewise, if you're a hands-off manager, you prefer to give them trust and autonomy and let them grow and develop and step in when you need to, tell them. But they might go, well, actually, I prefer a bit of 
you know, a bit of hand-holding to start with. I need feedback regularly to make sure that I'm on the right line. And other people are like, well, I'm, I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. I'm cracking on. And you know, I don't need feedback, but just if something's not right, tell me and I'll do something about it. And then what we're getting into then is really effective management and performance conversations rather than it's forced every six or 12 months because the organization or HR says, we need to give some feedback now and we need to link it to their annual bonus. I think if that's what we're doing, because the process says it, then we're not being effective. So here's a question for you. What I think we're essentially talking about here is good communication, right? And that good communication has uh, two elements. You've got to listen, understand, and then you've got to like give your own thoughts and feelings, participate in the conversation. Do you think communication is getting better or worse with the increasing technology? And I'm thinking all the multi, multi-media ways of being able to, to converse with someone now, all the different ways. What do you think? How do you think that's improved or, or decreased? It's probably a bit of a cop-out answer, but it just depends. I've seen it work really well with organisations, so they streamline things. They use... You know, they use things like, you know, your Teams and your Zoom and every other platform to sort of have update meetings and conversations. But then they, especially now with, with COVID dying off a little bit, they're, they're trying to get face-to-face to have that connection. And then they're reprioritizing their days. So they're basically saying, right, when you're off-site, that's when you're, inverted commas, working. And when you're on-site, that's when we're communicating and connecting. So they're actually labeling things slightly differently. Um, I have seen, I've seen some organizations have walked in where, you know, within two days, I was massively confused with the way they communicate. So they had... Um, that Slack between um, each individual, then each team. And without their emails, they had Slack up and it was pinging every two or three seconds. And I was like, you know, that's in terms of being succinct and being clear in your communication, this is just, you know, almost like a, a little water cooler conversation that's happening all day. And you get drowned out with that information. But at the same time, you then got, and we've got this all in our personal lives, and we've got text messages, then we've got Facebook messages, then we've got WhatsApp messages, then we've got Instagram messages. And I think that draws us into that, that time using our phone. But that's another conversation. I think it's, it's really, really difficult. It's just bringing mm-hmm. it down to a really sort of really clear and concise process of emails were brought out to be able to communicate with people when they weren't present. You know, that, that, was, that was it. It's, it's an email notification. That was it. And now we see that email as all our work so it's not our work email is communicating it's a part of our job we need to come off our emails to do our you know our core work sometimes so it does depend on the organization but i have seen some fantastic examples of streamlining it and simplifying it and i've seen some other organizations have had so much creep that there's 15 20 different channels and and people are overwhelmed and then this it creates this miscommunication i can give you a, a great example on this so in, in human nature, we think we know what's best for any situation. It's just pre-programmed in us. So when we're going to um, you know, a project meeting, let's just say it's an IT system that's being built and it's got a five-year project with, I don't know, 25, 30 million quid being thrown on it for the next you know, automated quoting system, whatever you want to call it. What happens is that the person, or the, the, the person heading up the department goes in with their preconceived idea of what they want it to look like. And in that miscommunication, the person who's actually physically building it there's a miscommunication or, or an assumption or a mind read of what they want. That then person who's building, the technical person, goes off for potentially eight to 12 weeks and really throws himself into this new app or new technology. But it's 10% or 10 degrees off where they want it. But over time, it becomes 20 and 30 and 40. And I've seen it where they've spent millions of pounds, presented it back, and the customer, the, the head of IT, has gone, that's not what we asked for. 
and it's it's about this effective communications and these checks and balances and and also asking right let, let's just make sure we're on the same page here this is what i'm saying this is what i mean how did you interpret that and it's those fundamentally comes down mm-hmm. to how do we have better conversations and create clarity in our messages because that creates alignment they're the fundamental parts of it and it's not always that easy to do sometimes you need to have a conversation about the conversation to make sure you are both aligned because it's very, very easy to, like you say, misunderstand. I think I've got what you're saying. You think you've got what I'm saying, but actually we're both very much on our own agenda. Um, and I think I think that's one of the biggest people challenges that I've come across uh, through the various hats that I've worn over time. I think, it, I think it's quite tricky. Um, just related, but moving slightly, um, how does recruitment fit into some of what we're talking about recruitment is a a really big um, issue for the insurance industry there's lots of drives and initiatives out there to try and bring younger people in there's a separate but related conversation about hybrid working and how how do those fit together in terms of learning and teaching the younger generation and communicating the younger generation um, in the, the kind of new hybrid world there's a misconception, in my opinion, and, and, and through my experience, that a lot of the youngsters coming through today, and let's just say, I don't know, people around about 25 or younger, you know, make new graduates looking for, the, for their first professional role. There's this misconception that they want to be working in this environment where it's 100% remote, or when they do come in, they can lounge around on beanbags all day. That, 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 that's, not what, that's not what they want. You know? it's, it's, a, it's a massive misconception. It's, I think it's because it's been marketed over the last 10 years that you know, some of the global companies like Facebook and Google and you know, anybody, anybody you want to class these trendy companies, that's what they're doing. They've, got a, they've turned it into a youth club, basically. That's the way the, the image they portray. But actually, when you dig a little bit deeper, it's underpinned on you have to clock in, you have to deliver on targets, you, know? you, you only get paid your bonuses if you hit the... So there's a lot of accountability in there in terms of moving forward. And I think what happens is when you've, if you've got like a, let's class it as an old traditional British company that was, you no, know, you, you're in the office minimum nine till five. That means you're probably getting in at eight o'clock and you're not leaving until the boss leaves because that's the way we work here because there's a hierarchy. Um, to go from that and being disc desk bound for eight, nine, 10, 12 hours to all of a sudden having this new funky environment, there's a disconnect between what you're trying to achieve and what you actually mean. And the reason I'm saying that's really important is the youngsters these days that are coming through into the interviews, if you can get to that stage, they see through it. They absolutely see through it. And they'll say, I don't quite understand what's going on at the minute, but I don't think I want to work there, especially if there's competition. So what the reason I'm saying that is we need to go back to some of the things I was talking a few months ago about, about creating this alignment that who are we, know who we are as an organization, as a team, what we're we trying to achieve and how do we go about our business? How do we behave and perform? Because if you get that aligned, you get congruence. And then when you're communicating in those marketing messages, those key sales messages, or even in the interviews, you're, you're going to attract the right type of talent. And then all of a sudden, then you're going to have people making the right decision to come with you. I think more often than not, we think we know what's best for them. And we, we, to be quite frank, we don't. You know, we're from a very different generation. Um, I'd encourage anybody that's having struggles with recruitment to go and research you know, Generation XYZ and, and beyond because they are quite unique. They are different, but they're not lazy. They want to work. I mean, I've got a, I've got a 21-year-old son who started a new job last week. And as part of his interview process, they said to him, what do you want your – I can't remember being asked. I would never be asked this at 21. What do you want your working conditions to be like? And he said, what do you mean? They went, well, do you want to be virtual? Do you want to be in the office? And he went, oh, I want to be in the office. He said, um, I love being around people. I want to learn. I want to develop. I want to be working close to my manager. And they went, oh, perfect, because that's actually what we're after. So what they were doing was asking questions of somebody's natural drivers 
and how they match the creative organisation rather than saying you will be in the office Monday to Friday. And all of a sudden it turns people off. What I'd also say as well, I mean, we were talking about, you know, the mental health, for example. Um, these 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 generations that are coming into the professional working space now, they've been through they've been through a schooling system that's no longer sit and be quiet and listen to your teacher. It's very facilitative and involved. So they've now got a voice that encouraged to speak up. And if they don't like or they're not sure, either ask up or say and have a debate around it. I can remember my first few jobs. There was no debate with my managers and leaders. It was do as you're told, sit in the corner, be quiet. You know, that was very much it. And I think a lot of our senior managers and leaders and even our executives have come through that generation of, well, that's what it was like for me. So that's the way it should be now. And it's very, very different to the expectations uh, of, of the youngsters coming through and the talent. And also you go a stage further that through university, the packages they get now, the universities are in, are in a massive sort of race and a competition for talent. So therefore, they've got value add. So there, there is a huge mental health advocacy program. There's, there's huge support. There's counselling on tap if they want it. They have, they have coaches to get them through their, their university degree. Basically, they've got this huge support network around them. And then if they go into a small business, that's you know, three, four, five people, and they're saying, well, what do you do around my mental health or what offering? They feel like they're going backwards in life in terms of that level of support. So what we need there is an, a hint of realism of we are a small business. You know, we haven't got that budget. But what we will say to you is that we will look after you and we will be able to provide, you know, some ad hoc services. And then you go through to the global companies that, you know, they're, they're trying to do the right things with things like mental health first aiders and, and online apps and programs and all that. But again, it's that, that congruence between do you really care about me is the answer they want to, they're, they're asking. And if their leaders and managers and interviewers are not showing any sort of empathy or, or compassion in that conversation, they'll pick up on it and they'll go and work for an organization that does. So it's very, very tricky and I get it. But like anything, when you're trying to sell or entice people in, you need to know the, the mindset of the people you're trying to attract in or you're trying to sell to. So you know, there's a huge amount of research out there at the moment online that's free. I'd encourage anybody that's struggling with recruitment to go and research your target audience. And I think that the research is changing regularly so you have to keep up with what's going on and, and where things are because I think the the change tra trajectory that we're in at the moment is huge and I mean that across all different you know business tech people requirements uh, mental health they're all evolving quite quickly in terms of the worlds that I'm seeing I don't know if that's similar to you yeah it is and I think you know we've naturally got this 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 progressive nature within human beings and I've said this a few times to a few people over the last few weeks actually so Let's let's just really go big, big picture. So, you know, the first 40 years of, of the 1900s was all about either being in a war, preparing for war or recovering from a war. So it was all about survival. So that was probably, you know, depending on your age, your parents or your grandparents were involved in that. So they were very much used to dealing with nothing. And then we sort of had a progressive period through the 50s and 60s where, you know, we started getting back on an even keel and the country started to grow a little bit. And we found new industries and we explored. Therefore, career opportunities come up. So all of a sudden then we had a little bit of... um a boost within a cash injection. We had the baby boomers with the housing matter. We started going on holidays. So my point being is expect it, overseas holidays, should I say, um, you know, the, the aviation industry boomed in the 60s and 70s where your expectations get higher. And then all of a sudden when we went into the 80s and 90s and the development of technology and the internet and everything like that, you know, I remember, remember having to watch a TV, you know, a, a series and having to wait a week for the next episode to come out. You know, now you can just like blitz them in an evening. Remember that? You know, we, we were taught patience just for the way the world was set I, up. <laughs> do on. you remember the TV stopping at seven o'clock? Yeah, I do. And there'd be nothing after that. Like, can you, can I imagine my children if uh, 
BBC says no more TV after seven. Like it's insane how much we've changed. Yeah, and, and you know the, the the quickest the original internet. I don't care what anybody says was CFAX. You know, used to go on and uh, get into that little special button, and there was a quiz on there. I think it was Channel Four had a quiz, and I do remember if you you know if I was up early on the weekend because I was off to play sport or whatever, and you'd put the, the TV on at six seven o'clock, and you'd have that that little girl holding the doll. You know, that was like the that was the original screensaver, wasn't it? You know, this is our world we were in, and <laughs> and now now you know everybody these youngsters that are coming through that through the eighties and nineties and through the noughties, because of us, because of our generation and our, our 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 quest for progression, we've provided an opportunity from now for instant gratification, instant information. You can't have a de- there's no such thing as a debate anymore because they'll just go, hang on, I'll just grab my phone. I'll go- Google says that's not the answer. There's no like, there's no let's be submissive to the to the parent or the hierarchy here because they said they'll just go and check it themselves and they're going actually professor so and so in Harvard said that's not the case and you're like, right, I feel a bit silly now. Because that's the world they've been brought up in. But one of the big problems with this instant gratification, I'll just go check it on the internet, is they check the first thing they see. So there's massive misinformation and misbelief and miss all of that starting because it's so instant. Well, this website said that, so it must be true. And I, I think that's a, a, a big problem that we will see come out in the next kind of 10, 20 years when our kids then come into the workplace. I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more, and I think what's accelerated that even it's not a conversation for today. Talk about politics and the way you know the UK and certainly America that have been run the last five, six, seven years. It's all about about the about this disinformation. You've you've got to sort of take ownership for your own decision making, your own judgment, and go and quantify that information, and go and go and do your own research, and and you know read the opposite. What could what could the opposite be, and then make up your own opinions, um, and be really sort of critical in your thinking around that. But fast forward and through those generations, I think technology through the noughties has been ridiculously fast and what does accelerate things as well is global challenges and i think we've had the you know the the, the horrific thing that's been COVID the last three years but that's accentuated some challenges as well that that are going to put pay off or, or, or pay sort of negative effect within the next few years for sure but what i do find is that you know the 60s 70s and 80s you, you you'd work for one company for all your life and that's sometimes what we expect. Loyalty. We provide your wages. We provide you a job. So what we expect back is loyalty. And, and people, people, especially sub-30s, I'd say, if not a little bit more, they want a little bit more than that now. They know this. It's if they're not happy, they're, they're taught from a young age. If you're not happy, take control of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions and do something about it. And, you know, they'll, instead of sitting it out for, I'll give it six or 12 months like we used to and see if it changes or see if my manager changes, they're like, I'll give it six weeks. If it's not right, I'll put my notice in and I'll go and find another job. Yeah, absolutely. The world is changing and it's a very scary place uh, to be bringing children up, I think. I wonder if you can uh, give me, as a way of kind of um, summing up what we've spoken about, maybe the, the, the top three pieces of advice you have for businesses, and I'm going global as well as SMEs, in the current market, given what we've just been talking about. Um, first ones, I've, I've talked about it three or four times already on this podcast, so alignment. So go and check that everybody working in and around you is on the same page as you. It's something we take for granted because sometimes we think people can read our minds and we think that, yeah, but I sent that slide deck out in December, setting the strategy for, for this year. So they've just got to revert back to the slide deck. Most humans will flick through the slide deck. They won't understand it. They'll just see which, res- which bit is relevant to them. And then they move on and go back to their day-to-day sort of workings. 
So revisit your strategy, if you like, and check that everybody's aligned and, and moving towards what you need and what you want. And revisit it regularly, whether it's with your leadership team and then ask them to revisit it with their management team and then ask their management team to revisit it with their staff. So create that alignment and revisit your strategy. Um, the second one would be invest in yourself. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but all these challenges we've talked about, recruitment, the next bit of generation, or you know the, 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 the headwinds and the prevailing headwinds of the, of the market, a lot of them can be overcome or made a little bit easier when you know yourself a little bit better and you're in a, you're in a good place yourself. So a lot of us are under pressure. Um, a lot of us are not always sure what to do. So we default to sort of subconscious behaviors. So we go back to habits because that's what's worked in the past, but pictures change so they don't always work. So invest in yourself. And if you can go and lean on your learning and development and go and go and go and learn some new skills and be curious about yourself and about others. And the more you learn about yourself, the byproduct is that you do learn more about others. Therefore, that management, that communication will come a little bit easier or will be improved. Um, and the third one is don't be afraid to ask for help. I think there's um, an element of bravado in most industries and, you know, we suffer in silence rather than saying, like, I'm struggling a little bit. Have you got five minutes to have a chat? I'd like to bounce things around you, around with you. And whether that's internal or external, I think there's always support there for you. So, yeah, don't be, don't be afraid to ask for help. It's, it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of maturity. Fabulous. I really appreciate that, Phil. Are you happy that I put your details in the show notes so anybody that uh, is interested to have a conversation with you about perhaps challenges they're facing in their business can get in contact? Yeah, of course they can. Yeah, drop emails, social links, whatever they need to do. We're, we're, we're across it and, and the team do manage it and they do always come to me and land on my desk. So I'll always, I'll always reply, that's for sure. Amazing. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. No worries. Thanks. All the best. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Brokers Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform and check us out on YouTube.